Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and physical therapy pearls of wisdom to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is really to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. I'm excited for this next podcast because if you've ever experienced pain, which if you're a human, <laughs> usually people have, right? We have a physical therapist, Dr. Kyle Paxton, who's really going to unpack what pain is. Now, he's earned his bachelor's in exercise science and his doctor of physical therapy degree up in Western New York, but he now lives in Tampa, Florida. He's the co-founder of something called Integrated Kinetic Neurology, also known as IKN, which is a continuing education company that focuses on educating providers on how neuroscience influences our movement and pain experience. Now, I took IKN probably a little over two years ago, and I really got to learn from what they are providing us based on what the brain is telling the body. And I've taken their course and still use a lot of those concepts every day in my practice or in my own body. So I'm really excited for how Kyle really explains what is happening in this neurological connection to the body so that we can actually you know, start to move better and feel better in our body. So I know you're going to enjoy this one. It has so much education on pain science. And so if you know this can also support other people, please pass it along and share it. Hey, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on. I know I did your course, gosh, like, is it two years ago now? <laughs> yeah, almost two and a half, I want to say pre, pre-COVID times. But yeah, back in LA, I want to say it was late 2018. Wow. That was a long yeah. time ago that I did it. Yeah, t- time flies. It, it really does. But I think what you guys are are bringing to the world, uh, not only for physical therapy and clinicians, but also, you know, then to take that message, hopefully, you know, into everyone as clinicians is is really needed and something that helped to kind of connect the dots and and put things into perspective on a little bit of a broader aspect. So I'm I'm appreciative to have you here. So thank you. Well, yeah, thank you for for having me. We certainly are are big fans of everything that that you you guys put out. So we're we're happy to be here and chat. So I'm super excited to have you on today because I remember I'm trying to think of the first time Jen ever asked me. First time I ever heard of this thing called IKN. She was like, <laughs> "Well, have you ever heard of IKN? Have you ever done IKN or heard of a IKN course?" I'm like elaborate a little bit what's i can mean and she's like <laughs> integrated kinetic neurology and then i'm just like okay i i don't think i've heard of that before but integration i like that i know a person's a full person <laughs> kinetic sounds like movement neurology nervous system that's the command and control switch so i'm like i'm all about it i don't know much about it yet but sounds great to me so can you just explain a little bit of what I can is and how your passions and everything in the industry drove you in that direction. Yeah, yeah, good question. I think I think you hit the nail on the head because you know there was a time where every continuing education company was some like trendy acronym, you know, and we ended up falling into that. But we did put a lot of time into um, the name for a reason because I think it speaks to what we're trying to accomplish, right? So integrated kinetic neurology. Our goal is to get people to just be better at looking at the whole picture, right? I think medicine and Western healthcare and PT school, physical therapy school especially, um, caters people to be 
maybe a little bit too focused on the area of pain. So we wanted to get people to look at the bigger picture. And in order to do that, um, you have to understand the nervous system. And I think that's a big piece that people don't understand greatly. And I think as a profession, we're still learning a lot every day. Um, but we really wanted to try to fill the gap there. And as a movement professional, we wanted to have people look at the whole body and understand the nervous system through the lens of movement. So that's where the name kind of came. But um, how I got here, I, I was in PT school. I graduated in 2016. Um, so it really hasn't been a, a ton of time. But me and my co-founder, Dr. Ryan Foley, both of us, when we were in school, had the opportunity to have some really cool mentors to get us to think a little bit differently. And, you know, PT school is great. It prepares you to pass the test, but it really doesn't prepare you to deal with real humans, you know? So we wanted to try to go to the next level. And a lot of that was learning about the nervous system and pain science and how the nervous system influences our muscles and joints and bones. And in that, we started going down some of these rabbit holes of learning, and we really saw that the only way the nervous system was really being taught, especially outside of school, is crazy, crazy, crazy in depth with these crazy drills that would have no uh, practicality in the outpatient orthopedic world in really any sense. So what we did is we kind of started to pare down what we had learned, and um, we somehow created IKN. It really started as us just teaching our PT school buddies what we had been learning. And um, it kind of slowly evolved into the company as it is today. Um, and, and we've been trying to refine that message as we go, just trying to get providers and honestly, even more than that, educate the general public on um, the complexities of the body. And there's nothing wrong with saying it's super complex and doing our best job to try to give some simplified strategies to address that complexity. I think that's that's the hard part and what probably scares, you know, people who haven't been through PT school or are not a clinician to say, well, the body's super complex, so how do I even start to address it? And I think, you know, pain science at in some respect sometimes has gotten a bad rep in terms of people being like, Well, are you trying to say my pain is all in my brain or like it's all in my head and I'm not really feeling this? You know, and so with just starting there, can you kind of break down what pain science is and how we can start to think about pain coming from the brain or the nervous yeah. system? Luckily, pain science has gotten a lot more traction and publicity over the past couple of years as it's become more pared down and, and disseminated to kind of the, the general public. But it is a hot topic still, I think, even though people like us as providers think every provider should have this level of education and understanding of what pain science is, I would still say a lot of people don't and whether that's on them not wanting to learn or it's just not available to them, whatever it is, I think it's not as common of knowledge as a lot of people like to think. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm still treating patients, right? So I have practices in DC and Florida. So I come across these conversations all the time and people do ask that exact question. Are you trying to tell me that like my pain's not real? And I, I think that immediately starts the discussion of what pain is. And I try to tell people, for, for the most part, um, pain is very rarely related to some sort of structural issue, right? For the same reason, someone can have a rotator cuff tear and have pain, and someone can have a rotator cuff tear and not have pain, right? So pain is much more of an experience, just like anything else that you feel on a daily basis is. And that experience can be influenced 
by a huge variety of factors. But most likely, the main thing that is causing you to have pain is your brain or nervous system's interpretation of a threat, right? As much as we like to think we're uh, fancy 21st century humans, our brain is still really wired from the caveman days to protect us, right? Like our sole purpose as humans is to stay alive. Um, So even though we like to think there's all these other things going on, most of it comes down to does our brain think it's safe or not, right? And if you can make it that simple of a concept, rehab starts to become much simpler as well, right? Pain starts to become something less we're scared about because something's wrong. And you start to say, okay, well, I have this pain in this area. What could be causing my brain to just not feel safe? And that's a really easy place to start with movement because really all rehab is, is progressively making your brain and body feel safer over time. For the same reason you start with a lighter weight and work your way up, um, you need to show and prove to your nervous system and body that you can handle that weight and slowly add on top of that, right? All we're doing is proving safety. And if you can just think of pain as your brain being nervous about something that's happening, it becomes much less scary and much easier to tackle, honestly, especially for the people who I've had who have, pain for, have had pain for a long time. You know, I think pain is this enigma to them that, that needs to be explained in, in a simpler way like that. And, you know, there's a lot of factors that can make your nervous system not feel safe. And that's something that makes it more complex. But um, that's why you work with a professional one step at a time to figure out what those things are. Mm-hmm. I think that was a super good breakdown of, yes, being able to justify something's like, if they ask, so you're saying my pain is not real, I always say, no, your your pain is very real and you're experiencing it in full. It doesn't necessarily mean there's something really negative, concerning or nefarious going on in the body. And and helping a client be able to disconnect from that is so powerful to be able to do as a provider. So how do we help people understand why say old pains might continue to revisit them. Like I know I strained my hamstring when I was running like eighth grade track and field. And that's one spot for me that if I'm sitting in a car for six to eight hours and I'm not moving or something, I feel that start to, you know, bite up at me or different times in life, that hamstring might come back at me. Why is that? Even though I know that there's not still any damage in my hamstring. There's two really clear paths that you need to go down with that. One is if pain pathways have been activated before, your body's always going to try to take the path of least resistance, right? And it's going to try to use the least energy possible to get you to pay attention. So if you're really, really stressed and other things are going on in your life and your brain is trying to tell you to change, it's more likely to send pain to the previously activated pain pathways than it is to something new, right? Because it takes less effort on the nervous system side to do that because it's done it before. And I think that's really, really important to understand, especially, you know, one of the most common things for people is kind of recurring low back pain. And they can have their low back flare up for a variety of reasons, even if nothing really happened with their low back, because to the nervous system, stress is stress. So whether that's physical stress, whether that's emotional stress, whatever it is, it's going to try to get you to pay attention and try to protect you. And one of the most powerful ways to do that is pain. It's a call for change, really, right? So it's going to put pain in that same area because it's easier to do so. Simple as that. And then the other side of that is, you know, maybe there are some gaps in the rehab that's been done, right? I think a lot of people go through hamstring rehab and they do a lot of focal hamstring strengthening and all that type of stuff is great. 
But if your nervous system is still sending pain there, maybe there's still some lack of proof of safety there, right? And then, you know, you start to have to think about what was missed. And that's where having a provider that understands the nervous system can be really helpful because you can understand how the hamstring fits into that bigger model and understanding how the brain controls the hamstring and proximal muscles differently than other areas of the body. And that may change how you're um, developing exercise there. But I think more more than anything, understanding that first concept is sometimes your brain just takes the easiest path. And if it's done it before, it's more than likely to do it again. And that's why I tell people not to read into it too much if you don't have some traumatic event, right? Like you sitting in your car, nothing happened to your hamstring. Your brain is using those pathways to get you to change because it doesn't like you sitting for that long and wants you to move. Pain's a high motivator to move. Yeah, I like that. And that that's just such a good reminder too of like it doesn't have to be so scary. What if it's just a signal to tell you, "Hey, I'm sitting here for too long and I haven't I haven't changed positions or I'm getting stressed at work and I haven't done anything to address my my stress." Like I I like that you tap on that because it it's a reminder that pain doesn't have to seem so scary, but it could be a normal response in our body. Um I do want to like touch on too, well, you know, because you brought up having a rotator cuff tear and for some, lots of pain, for others, none. And and this is something we battle as clinicians a lot, right? Coming in with someone with an MRI, I have this disc injury. I see it on the MRI. This is what's causing my pain. How do we know when that is truly the cause of the pain that you're feeling or other causes from the body feeling threatened. So how do we know how to make that distinction structurally? Uh, You know, this may not be the answer that people want to hear, but honestly, you don't know for sure. I can say based on the statistics, there's a much better chance that it's not than that it is, right? And for for me, it comes down to two people with the same imaging. Why does one person have pain and why does one person not? And I think of all the other things going on in their body, right? Your your brain and your nervous system and your body can only tolerate so much stress and so much going on at once, right? So if we have two people with the same imaging and we have one person who is really managing their stress, they do normal activity, they're doing recovery, they're really good about drinking water and their diet and they don't have any issues at home, et cetera, that person is gonna be able to deal with a lot more physical stress before they hit their threshold to where their body wants to protect them, right? Someone else who may have that disruption in their disc, right? So that disruption in their disc maybe is giving some bad feedback to their brain saying, hey, brain, maybe you want to pay attention to what's going on here. But if you have all of these other categories already taking up all of the threshold that you have, that little bit of feedback from that disc is going to be much more likely to cause a pain response, right? So I think less about how do you fix the local thing? And how do we, and more about how do we either make your threshold higher, right? Build some resiliency in your system, or how do we take off some of those other things from the table? Whether that's improve your mobility, improve your strength, all of those things are going to make your brain and body feel more comfortable with any negative feedback that's happening. So you don't really know right away, right? But I can tell people if someone's not responding to good, solid, consistent rehab over time that's really addressing the whole body, then maybe it is, right? I mean, some of those surgeries and injections exist for a reason, right? Because some people do need them. I just think it's a much smaller percentage because unfortunately, most people go to the doctor and they hear all of these horrible, horrible narratives, right? And it's our job to at least try 
the movement side first, but making someone feel comfortable with the pain, making someone understand what the movement can do, I think is the first step. And you just have to see how the body responds. Like I think anyone who says they know what's going to happen beforehand is probably lying, (laughs) right? We have an idea based on the assessment of what we think can happen, but we don't really know until the body tells us, right? And that's why your provider should be asking lots of questions. I think that's something we try to teach a ton at ICANN is your assessment on that first day, you're doing all these tests, you're asking all these questions. Every single session after that should really still be seen as a reassessment, right? Every single time they're giving you stuff to do at home, you should be able to give them feedback on it and they should be asking you about it because that's what's going to allow you to create the biggest change is modifying based on what your body's telling it. I think that's so important, that constant reassessment process. And I think a lot of people will do that initial assessment and get on a path. And, you know, then it's kind of you come in and you're doing the same thing over and over and over again in a session. And sometimes that's not the greatest way to make progress, especially with people who might be dealing with these long term nervous system issues that can be very complicated and very multidirectional. And you talked a little bit about building resiliency in the system and ways in which we're able to do that. And I think this is one of the beautiful ways in which you've started to integrate this biomechanical side with this nervous system side, because there's so many ways that we can access the nervous system and build this robustness. So could you give us some examples of ways you might do that with clients? Certainly, this is kind of a, a individual type of, of concept. But I think for, for us, the biggest things that we like to start with are the things that are most likely to create change in everyone right? Like if we're talking about, oh, we need to strengthen this one particular muscle at this one particular joint, the chances of that helping are much smaller than going after some of the bigger pieces of the pie first. And for us, that's breathing number one, and really preparing your body to tolerate stress, right? Mm -hmm. And I think people don't do that enough, whether they think they're doing a warm up or whatever they're doing without understanding the hierarchy of the nervous system, you can be doing stuff just to make you feel like you're doing stuff, but it's probably not the thing that's going to cause the most change. So we like to start with breathing as the first thing with basically everyone, if we're talking about trying to build resiliency, right? Because I like to always go back to that survival model. Our brain and nervous system are here to make sure we're not going to die. And the only thing you have to do today to get to tomorrow is breathe, right? You could not eat you cannot drink water, you cannot do a lot of things, but you have to breathe to be able to survive to get to tomorrow. So because of that, when you can give really good breath work and really good feedback, you can create huge changes in the nervous system and how comfortable it feels because it's so important for survival. So I I have, and, and we at ICANN go and do a lot of breath work and I have all my patients start with breath work because it's immediately proving safety to the nervous system so it's more likely to give you what you want, right? So I think breathing's certainly the first place that we start. And then, you know, we're big on just creative and novel movement. Um, And that's going to be different for everyone based on where we're trying to assess. But the worst thing you can do is if someone's in pain is avoid movement, right? The best thing to improve their resiliency and improve their capacity is be creative and finding ways to move that aren't painful. The more ways you can find that you can move without pain, the more likely those movements that were painful are just going to fix themselves a lot of time as you prove that your nervous system can trust you to not hurt yourself. Mm, 
You are speaking our language. <laughs> yeah, it's good when people come on and say this kind of stuff because then our audience probably believes us more because yeah. <laughs> we talk about breathwork so much. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Someone tells me like something and like the first thing I do is like, well, have you listened to our 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 podcast on the breath? Like <laughs> that's the first place I would start. Uh, yeah. But what you guys do and how you teach it, can you just give us a quick overview on a type of breath work that people can start to explore right now, today, to maybe feel any kind of shift in their body. And this is something we've taught from day one with ICANN, and it's not anything that we created or revolutionary. We just try to bring light to it. It's called square breathing. And it's called square breathing because you're going to think about creating an equal um, inhale, hold, exhale, hold um, time-wise. You're basically creating a square with, with what you're doing there. But um, I have people start with simpler is always better to get going because I think people will realize how challenging it is. Um, I have people just lay on their back, feet flat, you know, knees bent, comfortable position, nasal breathing only. So that's different than a lot of breathing patterns that other people may be taught and certainly going to be a different breathing pattern than you may use when you're doing heavy loaded exercise, etc. But if we want to give the best feedback to the body, you want to go inhale and exhale with your nose and you're going to do a four second inhale a four-second hold of your breath, a four-second exhale, and a four-second hold of your breath again, and you repeat for about a minute. I tell people all the time, if you feel like after only four seconds that that is even slightly uncomfortable, it is something you need to be working on daily, and that is a no-questions-asked scenario, right? That should feel very easy and relaxing, and as people get good at it, we have them start to improve um, or progress their hold times. And we have them really start to incorporate some spine movement into it as well. But I, I challenge everyone to just try to work on square breathing for 60 seconds a day. Um, and you can try that right before you go exercise. Uh, it can be really powerful. I think a lot of people avoid breathing right before exercise because they think it's going to calm them down or something and not make their workout effective. Uh, quite the opposite. Uh, you will absolutely have your nervous system more comfortable in giving you strength and mobility if you do really controlled breath work right before. So I'm wondering because you said only through the nose and, and you kind of said when you mentioned that, that that's different than some other people. Like I know the classic thing that all PT students will learn is smell the roses and blow out the candles. So you're going in the nose and out the mouth. But why specifically do you have them do only nasal breathing? It really comes down to, again, thinking about that bigger picture. And this gets more into kind of some blood chemistry stuff. I, I like to, uh, a situation people understand is um, when you hyperventilate, you start to get uh, lightheaded, right? And there's a reason that that's happening. Um, as you start to hyperventilate, you breathe too much air out. So you're breathing too much carbon dioxide out of your system. And you actually need an appropriate level of carbon dioxide in your system to be able to transfer oxygen to your tissue, whether that's your brain or your muscles. So when you're hyperventilating, you're breathing too much of that carbon dioxide off, you can no longer transfer the oxygen. That's why you get lightheaded. You're actually cutting blood off to your brain. So what do you do? You breathe into the bag to keep more carbon dioxide into your system, right? That's what we're trying to accomplish with the nasal breathing. Many times when people are exhaling through their mouth, whether it's during a breathing exercise or during movement or regular uh, workout exercise, they're breathing off far too much carbon dioxide 
which actually is limiting their ability to get oxygen to their brain and their muscles, which if you don't have oxygen in your brain and your muscles, what's going to happen? Your brain's going to feel threatened and it's not going to give you the type of movement, mobility, strength that you want, right? So we encourage nasal breathing just to try to keep the more appropriate balance of those things. And it's really challenging, especially when you start to try to do it during movement. But um, the research is as clear as day on that blood chemistry stuff. And it's so, so important uh, for certainly athletes and higher level individuals. But even if we're just trying to do the basic breath work, we want to facilitate as much oxygen to our brain as possible, as much oxygen to our tissue as possible. And that means breathing in and out through the nose. So, so key. I mean, this is something, again, Dom and I talk about a lot and something we connected on as PTs when we first met was just like, oh, you do this whole breathwork thing with with clients? (laughs) You do breathwork with people? I do too. You don't think I'm weird? Great. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. Ultimate connection. Breath is the ultimate connector because, you know, uh, go figure. Everyone's got to do it. Yeah, exactly. And that's why people like kind of probably scoff at it. Well, how is this going to help my pain, right? If it's not a specific exercise, if it's not a specific thing, I don't understand why I would waste time on it. And I love that you you break it down in a way that, that makes it simple and easy. And hopefully people will start to take it a little bit more seriously now. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just such a great platform for everything else, right? Because, you know, we see a lot of people with low back pain and I think a lot of people take IKN courses in hopes that they're going to get things to help their low back pain. And breath work is obviously all the blood chemistry stuff and the nervous system stuff that we talked about, but it's such a great leader into spine movement and other movement because when you really start to understand how your rib cage and spine moves with exhalation and inhalation, you can start to leverage those things to really help you with pain and movement. So I think it's just a great place to start. And then you can always build on top of it. But I, especially providers, I think do a poor job of progressing too fast and forget about the breath work. I tell someone all the time, if you can't do that movement while maintaining a slow controlled breath, then you're too far progressed. You need to regress back to where you can control your breath, right? And that's different than we're talking about really heavy squats where we're breathing and bracing. But for, for medium or low threshold movements, you should be able to control that breath. Even like something as simple as, I don't know, what's something people do all the time, like planks. You should be able to talk and do your breath work the whole time during a plank. If you can't, you should be finding something else to do because you're just not ready for it from a capacity standpoint. Mm. Mm, I like that. And I think it was a, one of the first times that I realized that <laughs> whenever I couldn't control my breathing when I was exercising, that that essentially was my system panicking. <laughs> and when yeah, I tell absolutely. Yeah. And when I tell myself that, it kind of helps me come back to exactly what you said. Maybe pedal back a little bit, focus more on controlling my breathing, tell my body it's safe to do this activity because then my recovery might be that much better. Um, So I love that we've, you know, hit on this breath work, but the nervous system is this beautiful thing that we can access in a million different ways. And, you know, with a lot of your people, like you were saying, you're trying to get different changes in biomechanics, different changes in how they move comfortably. So I know that PTs always have their little party tricks that they can bring into a room and be like, hey, do this and this. And now you can touch your toes. (laughs) Um, So do you have any little neuro tricks that you like to use with people to get change in their biomechanics system and change in their movement? That's a great question. I think there are so many that you can do. And I think 
we have purposely tried to avoid that mm. because <laughs> I, I think I think it gives an inappropriate expectation at times to the patient and to providers because you know when we came onto the scene there were a lot of other neuro- neurological courses and a lot of them have that and that's how they start to sell things and you're in the course right and you do this and all of a sudden your partner's got 30 degrees more shoulder range of motion you're like oh man this is going to be awesome yeah but you know what happens 60 seconds after that party trick <laughs> it's right back to where it is mm-hmm. right so what we've done and what we really try to promote is understanding these concepts and promoting it through progressive loading and consistent movement over time, which means frequent movement, frequent homework in different environments. That's going to be the way that we like to cause change and much less of these party tricks or quick type change things. Because, you know, the the time they are helpful is when people really doubt that they can have improvement, right? So people have had chronic pain or chronic mobility restrictions. You can at least show them that their brain or body has the capacity to change and say, okay, now that you know that, you know that if you put the work in, we can cause a permanent change. So I think that's, you know, maybe a little bit of a shift in some of the ways that nervous system companies talk because uh, Shante Cofield, a really good friend of mine, the movement maestro, she says it very nicely um, that, you know, the, the brain and the nervous system is easily tricked, but it's very hard to convince, right? Mm. So you can trick it, pretty easily with those, but it's very challenging to convince for the long term. And those are the types of strategies that we do want to try to really instill in people. That being said, you can do some really cool stuff with vestibular and eye drills um, regarding hamstring length and and uh, back pain and those types of things. But um, we generally try to avoid it because that's the first question people ask when they come to our course, like, hey, what can I do to uh, improve a hamstring length? You know, And I'll tell people, do 60 seconds of breathing. It's probably better, right? Yeah. That's as close to a party trick as, as we're going to try to push. But I think it's a great thing for people to understand the difference because I, I do think no matter what's going on, you have to put the the work on the patient side of things, right? As a provider, you have to make them understand it. You have to make sure that they understand they're helping themselves. And we try to instill that through movement rather than us doing hands-on work or some type of other thing that they feel like they have to rely on us for. I love that. And <laughs> how does Shantae get brought in so many different ways? I always bring oh, her oh, up. Oh, and yeah. I- <laughs> say, she, she works her way into so many of our podcasts. <laughs> she has these <laughs> <Yeah>. good one-liners. <laughs> but I do like, I love what you're saying and how that's exemplified in the way that the work that you guys are doing and the way that you're promoting it and teaching it. Uh, I think that's, such a great concept to remember. I mean, I remember having a, a client and he first came to me and asking him just to raise his arms overhead. It was like he came to a certain point and his body would just start shaking as he was going up. Or can you bend down and touch your toes? And all of a sudden, again, coming to a point where his body would just start shaking. And I knew, you know, there, of course, are little neurological tricks that you could use, but that's never going to make long-term change. This man cannot yeah. feel safe to even move within his body. And so it took over six months before I finally released him that he was with me progressively getting to the point where he looked like an athlete, but his body had to trust him to get there. And I think it's it's a great reminder that it takes time, <laughs> that it's not going to just work through tricks. And 
And we can use the nervous system to continue to feed into the body in order to progress that movement. So I, that's that's awesome. I love what you're saying, Kyle. I think it's such a huge thing because, you know, when we teach courses, you just come across a lot of providers and patients who want the fast way out. And they never like to hear me say that uh, there isn't there isn't one. Unless you want to end up back here, then, you know, <laughs> we can give you some stuff to do for a session and end up back here in three months or we can solve it now. So, yes, I... Uh, I think everyone uh, hopefully will continue to get on board. And I also think it's important for patients because they get frustrated if they're not better in like three weeks. You know, I think there's a lot of things that can show that you're getting better outside of just your pain too, you know? So um, I think it's just an important concept for everyone to grasp no matter what side of the equation you're on. Absolutely. And you've kind of brought up a little bit like tools or using tools or other things for these quick fixes or to get a little bit more of a quick change in the body. Um, how do you educate somebody who's coming in and keeps on saying they might need to use a certain tool or they, they have been using a certain tool and that's one of the only things that they've been able to find relief with? You know, How do you start to educate people on where that tool can have its place in their journey moving forward? That's another really common question we get, especially you know, as at our courses, providers come in with other backgrounds and knowledge already, right? And they may have an affinity for certain things. And what we tell people is you have to meet them where they are, right? I think I have a lot of people who come in and they're craving like cupping or or scraping or some sort of manual hands-on massage work. And that's the thing that quote unquote has really helped them in the past. Mind you, they're back in our office for the same thing now. But um, on our end, what we want to do is you better do those things in some capacity, right? Like pain is an experience and a perception. Again, if they perceive that those things are going to be the interventions that are going to help them, if you really want to help them, you're going to have to incorporate them in some way. What we usually say is they're great tools to calm the nervous system down and get it ready to be challenged, right? So usually We'll use it at the beginning of the session, especially if someone has higher levels of pain, right? Um, but we want to, as quickly as possible, promote the idea that let's use this window of improvement that the nervous system's giving us, and let's reinforce it with movement that is appropriate to what the nervous system is already expecting, right? Because I think a lot of people do movement in ways that are fighting the nervous system, right? So we have to do the appropriate movement. But just think about it as let's reinforce the window that those things are going to give us. But without reinforcing it, it will eventually want to come back, right? Like it's parking lot syndrome. I tell it all the time. Someone goes to a chiropractor, not to hate on chiropractors, but someone goes to any provider (laughs) and by the time they get back into um, the parking lot, their back hurts them again, right? Because all they did was some scraping or an adjustment. It felt really good. And then they go head back and they stand up against gravity or they go into a stressful environment again and their body goes right back into the same protective mechanisms, right? And, you know, I, I tell people sometimes, like, the only reason you feel really good after some of that scraping, like the people that leave with, like, these bruises, is your body gets off the table and is just happy to be alive. Yeah. So you get, like, you get endorphins because there's so much pain and so much aggressive stimulus for so long that there's a rebound effect of, like, oh, man, we survived that. We're happy now. W- whatever's happening, try to use it to your advantage and reinforce it with movement. Oh my goodness. So key. And one of the things that I I appreciated about 
your guys's course too. And I took it. I know you guys have changed things a little bit, but even just the idea of teaching someone how to calm their own system down themselves, right? Without having to rely on someone else. And so I, I remember talking through like, okay, if they're feeling back pain, have them touch their back as they're doing dead bug, as they're doing, you know, these movements. How can I, how can I feel this area that feels really intense for me as I'm doing movement? Now, why would that be uh, something beneficial for people? This can go really one of two ways because sometimes bringing more awareness to the area is the thing the body's looking for. And sometimes bringing more awareness to the area is going to increase symptoms, right? So that's why I say Mm. there's no playbook. Do something and see how the body responds. If it gives you really good feedback and feels better, you can do more of that. But if you are in a situation that it makes it feel better, the, the reason it, it's helping for the most part is is two things. One, um, if it's like more of an acute pain scenario, your brain can really only pay attention to one stimulus at a time, right? Like, I, like when you smash your funny bone on something, what's the first thing you do? You go and try to rub it, right? And that makes it feel better. Um, so that can help in acute scenarios. But the more common scenario is, you know, like you said, dead bugs and low back pain. If you can bring awareness there, a lot of the reason people have pain is their brain doesn't have a good idea about where it is in space, right? So if your brain or our brains have an internal body map, right? So our brain has this representation of what it thinks our body is shaped like and what it is and where it is in space. When people have pain or if people are moving inappropriately for long periods of time or bad posture, et cetera, um, usually those body maps can start to get a little blurry. And when they start to get blurry, your brain doesn't have as good of an idea of where you are. So what's that? It goes back to that's threatening. That could be potentially dangerous. So when you put your hands on an area, it immediately brings awareness to that area and refines that body map. It gives your brain a better idea of where your low back is in space relative to the environment and the rest of your body. And usually that can help reduce that protective threat response, right? For the same reason, you know, any hands-on stuff works. Like a lot of people use KT tape. It's really doing the same thing. All it's doing is bringing awareness to that area to help improve your internal body map. Um, And if you know where you are in space better, you're going to move better. Your brain is going to feel more comfortable. And usually that means less pain and more strength and more mobility. To be honest, I think that probably one of my favorite things about this interview of course, other than all the awesome information you bring about ICANN is that, well, it's that you're not so siloed away. You know, we see so many providers that get so siloed away into their own technique that they can't even admit that doing some hands-on therapy on somebody could be beneficial for them. And it's uh, it's that syndrome that once we become educated enough in one area, we think that we can use that to solve everyone's problems rather than just listening to them. And I think so many providers go down that hole rather than, yes, learning a skill and learning a new technique and being open to learning new things, but also being open to the individuality of the person. And I've heard so much of that and understanding how individual everyone's nervous system is. I don't know why any provider would approach it any differently. So Yeah, it was one of the reasons we got into the space in the first place. We were so frustrated with what the continuing education world was like. It's like, oh, this information is ours. Once you take our course, you can't take any other <laughs> courses, if you take their course, we're going to execute you. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a crazy world at times. And that was why we wanted to get into it. You know, I mean, we're in the scheme of things, not that far out of school. We're trying to change the perspective of continuing education and change what it is. 
I mean, for the same reason, we do collabs with plenty of other continuing education courses, right? We give people resources for other courses because as if you want to be the best provider possible, you need as many tools in your toolbox as you can, right? There may be some that you tend to drift towards just because you have a better understanding of them, but they're not going to work for anyone. And when they don't, you better have other things to go to on your list, right? Um, so that's that's really important to us. And, you know, at ICANN, we're less about teaching people very specific interventions, right? Like we're not really huge fans of doing that. We'd much rather teach people a framework and a way to look at the body. And when you understand that, you can create interventions that are tailored for any individual that's in front of you, right? I don't want to ever have anyone say, oh, you should do these three exercises from IKN for hip pain. That should Mm -hmm. not be how it is. You should understand how the nervous system and biomechanics work around the hip, understand what types of exercises and things tend to bias those hip strategies that the nervous system likes, and you can build whatever you want around that. But it just promotes much more critical thinking. And I think that's important because so many people leave continuing education courses with like this exact replica of what they learned in the course. And they expect to just put that into every person. Um, and they run into walls really quickly. And I think that's why people take a course and they stop using this stuff within one or two weeks because they don't have an understanding of the bigger picture. Exactly. It's it's about theories. It's about understanding. And it's about, again, what you guys stand for, which is integration. So understanding how to use these concepts and actually integrate it into someone's life. I think that's huge. Um, well, speaking of courses, <laughs> you guys do have continuing education courses and allow for CEUs for PTs and athletic trainers, I believe you said. So where could people find those courses? Yeah. So um, www.ikneurology.com is our website. Um, and then we're really active on social media as well. So our Instagram is integrated kinetic neurology. Um, we are CEU approved uh, for athletic trainers and PTs for everywhere in the US and then also some uh, massage therapy stuff as well. We have some loopholes around. So if you're looking to get CEUs there, um, we usually can help you out with that. But we have providers across the board take our courses. Um, and then honestly, even uh, general population, people who are just interested in learning, um, we have some opportunities for them as well. But uh, website has all of our in-person courses listed and then all of our courses are also available online kind of learn at your own pace those are also CU approved so um, whether you want to hang out with us in person um, or hang out with us online um, the website www.ikneurology.com is the best way to see all the options we have epic that's so great like honestly Kyle this was such a great interview and I hope people start to understand it within their body and and feel a little bit more supported. So I think you're definitely bringing that to the world and excited to see what you guys continue doing. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate you having me. And there we have it, yet another amazing guest on the Optimal Body Podcast. So now what we ask of you, if you loved any bit of that or resonated with it, go share it out, share it with a friend, share it on your social media, because you know there are more people out there that would resonate with it just the same. Also, subscribe, rate, review on your favorite podcast app so we know what you want to learn or other guests that you think we should bring on for you in the future. Keep tuning in to find your optimal body.